Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Green and Gold Rugby Show for another week, a show that's getting you over the game line on the hottest topics of Australian rugby. I'm Rugby Reg, and we're coming to you via Eon Sports Radio or from our website, greenandgoldrugby.com, the home of all things rugby in Australia. Uh, joining me as per usual tonight is Matt Rowley. How are you, Matt? Good, mate. Good to see you. Good to be here. Hugh Cavill, and Hugh's here too. How are you? Evening, Reg. How are you? Good, mate. Look, look, before we start, we do need to get serious up front. Okay, World Rugby have come out this week via referee's boss, Alain Rolland, to apologise to the All Blacks and admit that their scrum half, Aaron Smith, should not have been sin-bent last week versus the French. Look, it has come on the back of a whole bunch of apologies from World Rugby to New Zealand, and we here at Green and Gold Rugby acknowledge that, that we all have apologies to make to New, Ze- to New Zealand rugby as well following the footsteps of World Rugby. So I'm going to start, guys. You can follow close behind. So I'd like to apologise to all New Zealand rugby fans because when my team, the Queensland Reds, won the 2011 Super Rugby Championship over your beloved Crusaders, I celebrated heartily. I, I drank from the trophy. I stayed up late. But I never stopped to acknowledge the Crusaders were forced to play all their games on the road that year. And that Reds Championship should forever have an asterisk beside its name because of that. So I apologise, New Zealand. Oh, oh, oh! That is hell. huge, Red. That's massive. Matt, how about you, mate? Um, Matt, well, how first about you? Well, obviously, we've got, reprint, we've got to reprint some stubby callers now, huh, don't we? We've got to recall the stubby callers. Oh my God! This is going to cost circulation. Now we're going to. I've got to get the asterisks out. <laughs> so we'll do the marker pen. Just get them sent in asterisks, send them back. Um, well, look, yeah, obviously I need to apologise for the Waratahs uh, winning that Super Rugby uh, Championship over the Crusaders and the fact that it should have been Richie McCaw who basically handed it to us on a platter with uh, one of his many, many penalties. So I do apologise that he's going to live with that memory for the rest of his life. Um, but, look, the other thing I've got to apologise for is um, not putting my tape in the bin um, and, and, or, and or switching up the change rooms. <laughs> Um, for all those years when I was playing, um, I was misguided. Um, it was just foolish of me. It didn't show enough respect. Um, and so, yeah, I'm deeply sorry to, for, to, uh, for shaming the memory of the All Blacks by not doing that. Lovely. Well done. Very genuine. And to you, Hugh. Oh, look, I'm, I'm broadening it out here, really. I mean, we've done some, some rugby stuff there, and I don't think I can top yours, Reg. I mean, look, I'm going to apologise to the, the people of New Zealand. I mean... I just feel like as a, as a, you know, I really should be supporting everything that the Kiwis do. And, and I just haven't supported their music industry um, at all over, over my life. And, you know, I've never bought one 30-odd foot of Grun album with Russell Crowe. I've never <laughs> bought anything by Dave Dobbin. You know, it's, it's, it's these sort of things that I really should, should have been doing as a, as a uh, good trans-Tasman partner. And I, and I haven't been doing them, so I apologise. Or I haven't seen any New Zealand movies at all. Couldn't name you one. Couldn't name you one. So uh, there you go. That's, that's, my, that's my confession there. Thank you. You appreciate that. And um, I think we have now repented for our sins. Uh, and uh, we can move on with the podcast, which is a crapper. A cracker, not a cracker. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. yeah, you're right the first time. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe I'm right. Exactly right. Look, we do have another egg chaser for you. Tim Cogger is going to join us later on in the show to help preview the England game. But before we get there, uh, we'll dive into our five burning questions and uh, look at the Ireland game. So let's get straight into it uh, and we'll do with the burning questions as they come. So the first question is, guys, is what was the biggest factor in our loss to Ireland? Uh, Matt, what's your reading on that one? Oh, just cheating French referees. 
um, really. Uh, <laughs> That's why I started with you. Yeah, no, no, we'll, maybe we'll get to that later. No, look, I, I don't think you can blame that. I mean, I think the fact that um, it was interesting. I mean, it was a funny old game, wasn't it? I mean, we, we managed to contain. I thought the fact that Ireland, with ten minutes of, of that, that first ten minutes, where they were just camped with all the territory and all the ball um, in our half, and I think they only walked away with like three points. Um, from that little stanza, um, I thought was you know pretty amazing, um, but um, you, you know we just we just kept making too many mistakes. You know when we were managing to get down their half, we just couldn't keep territory or possession because you know someone would try and force a pass or you know uh, you know and then when we did create opportunities, you know they they kind of you know someone uh, butchered them. Um, so look. It, I thought we were, in a lot of ways, we were our own sort of worst enemy there. Um, and, you know, it was, a, it, was a, it was a close old match. And then Ireland came back. I mean, we, I don't know how else to say it. I thought it was a really, really good test match. Ireland are a very, very good team. I must admit, I thought I said going into it that I thought we both, both teams played very similar styles of attack in rugby, just that the Irish set piece um, was much more reliable and, and gave them a... Um, a good platform and, you know, and, and that sort of came to pass. Um, but it was great to see us come back into the game um, just before half time, and then after after that. So, I mean, it was it was a cracking match. Yeah, it was. What about you, Hugh? What was your reading of our, our uh, the, the reasons for the loss, I guess? Yeah, it, I agree with Matt. Cracking match. Um, both sides playing with Endeavour, scoring tries, running the ball. It, it, it was... Just a really, really strange one because if we'd have won, it would have been an all-time victory. You know, it would have been down 17-0, looked like it could have been a space job and, and the Irish could have beaten us by a margin. But then we came back and, you know, we borrowed it in the end. It, we came so close to a famous victory, but it was a devastating loss because we should have got there. You know, with 10 minutes to go, Irish decimated by injury in the back line, you know, practically... You know, we had a halfback on the wing and that sort of thing. Yep. We, we, you know, we really should have come uh, finished the job. We had them in that position to do all that work, to get back from 17-0 down, to be 24-20 ahead. Um, we, we really needed to finish that off. And like we've been doing against Scotland and against France. Um, so it was devastating in that way. And I think you have to look at that last 10 minutes and think that our decision-making, and that was what cost us the game. Decision-making and execution in those last 10 minutes just wasn't good enough. And, and, I, the, and the Irish ended up being better than us. And considering what had happened previously in the injuries, that, it, that's not particularly um, acceptable from the Wallabies. And that bench performance, again, the, these finishes, these guys that last year, were the, the hallmark of the year was that bench coming on, really adding something, and, and, and we're kicking on in the last, tw- last 10, last 20 minutes. Instead, we're going backwards. Our set piece is faltering. We're losing lineouts. You know, half of the bench guys don't even get on the field anymore. Cooper and Phipps yeah, didn't. Yeah. I don't think, you know, um, a few others didn't either. So, you know, you, you wonder where that imp- – you know, we got good impact out of Naivalu and Douglas. But other than that, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's coming up empty, which is a shame. But, yeah, what a, what a sensational t- test match. And, um, yeah, you, you can't fault the Irish at all um, to, to well, get up and was, get the biscuit like that was sensational. I was going to say, how, how good would Ireland? And that was my, that's my answer is Ireland is too good. I thought that first half hour of them was fantastic. And, you know, put aside the penalties and we, we can touch on that if we need to. But, but mate, I, I just thought the intensity of that Irish in that 30 minutes, I don't think we, we – even if we played our best, I don't think we could have got through them. They were just – 
remarkable. They kept turning us back. They played nice, controlled footy. Um, you know, they, they knew their limitations from an attack perspective, um, and they got there over the line. But I, I thought the the, the defence, the discipline was just fantastic um, uh, by the by the Paddies there, and and they just they just knocked us out of the game. And by the time we turned things around. Um, maybe it was too, a little too late. I think we were put off our game, obviously. And what the Irish did in that 30 minutes is they played how I'd like to see us play. I've been waiting for us to have one of those games that just clicks where all the intensity's there and we maintain it for a period of time. We're so up and down, so wavy throughout a game, throughout a season. And that Irish showed in that first sort of half an hour was, was what I'd love to see um, from us moving forward. Yeah. Uh, the discipline was a big question. So let's look at that question and that, that number two question there. And it's about Checker and his reactions after the game, or at least the reactions that were reported about the refereeing and the, the 13 to 3 penalty count. Were they over the top? Uh, Matt, I'll go straight to you again. Well, look, you know, I'm pretty good for usually for a um, sort of tinfoil hat. Um, approach to refereeing. Um, but look, I've got to say, what's been really impressive about Ireland, you know, throughout those tests against the All Blacks, um, and then again against us, was just their discipline. I mean, I think they gave yeah. away, you know, was it four, about eight penalties between the two tests against the All Blacks, and then they've only given away three. Look, there were plenty of times when I'm looking at the breakdown and I'm going, oh, come on, French ref, there's that guy's again through the back of our ruck. But you know, that was just his interpretation, unfortunately, right? And he just played that way throughout the whole match, and Ireland played to it. Um, I, I didn't think they were nearly as blatant as, for example, when you play the All Blacks and, you know, they give away spoiling penalty after spoiling penalty. Ireland trusted their D. Um, so, I don't know. Look, you could probably argue ourselves into a couple of penalties, maybe. Um, I think the one that was disappointing from Garces, who, you know, who seemed to didn't want to have a look at all, and this is the one thing that does actually crap me off a bit about world refing is that you know he was really really keen to like not even look at that obstruction call um oh absolutely you know when nigel owen my god you know what you know wanted to you know pull back that one against the all blacks with dane hale at petty behind the ball and yep. you know, have, yes. you know yep. have, have eight replays through it um whereas gar says was like oh no I just wave this one on through and it's just like guys have some consistency right if you're going to go into forensic detail in one match you've got to go in another um, but that obviously wasn't going to be the case. So, look, that's probably about the only thing that I, you could have a good old whinge at. Um, I thought otherwise it was probably well done, Ireland. And can I just say before we move on, um, Henry Spate's defence gives me palpitations. Um, if there was any player yeah. that I thought needed hooking after about 15 minutes, he is completely lost. Has no idea. No, he's trying his socks off, bless him. Um, runs around like a mad guy just trying to back into some sort of position, but he is... It's just a shocker. But but we've been caught out wide numerous times this season. I don't know, I don't know if it's some sort of defensive alignment, but there always seems to be a 15-metre gap on the outside of our wingers. I don't know if they're purposely defending in the line, but I wonder if Noah Varley might be a shot this weekend. No, I think he uh, Hugh, what about you, mate? From the, the um, Jackets' reaction game-wise... Oh look, I think I think he's copped a bit of flak check, and I think he's unlucky. I think it's a, what he said, and you've got to realise that this isn't a post-match press conference where he's asked questions. It's not like he just sat down and started going about the ref. The problem is he has done that in the past, and so now the first few questions that the journalists ask him in these sort of games, especially, are what did you think of the ref? And they sit back yeah. there, you know, with their pens and papers ready to, to go. And hoping that – because they know that that's probably where the headline's going to be. Checker says a few things and, and there's your headline. He starts, 
you know, he fires off a handle and, and you've got a story for the next week. As it was, I think he didn't say much. He said, you know, well, didn't think it was great. We'll talk to Alan Rowland, but, you know, Ireland with a better team and, 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 and went on with the press conference. I, I think his comments were pretty measured and, and the 13-3 penalty count is frustrating. I mean, I agree with Matt that... Um, that try, and if I am do my imitation I've been working on for quite some time with that, that Irish commentator of Gary Ringrose, um, <laughs> which uh, was, I thought, um, a, a clear obstruction. That commentator was really by the way. Oh, no, I was watching no, the game with my six-year-old Marmion! daughter. <laughs> I was watching that game with my six-year-old daughter, and she said, is that guy a pirate, Dad? Um, and I, it was hard to dispute it. <laughs> Oh, yeah, God. so um, that's um, yeah. Look, I thought that was ridiculous. That was an obstruction. It had to be, and he just looked at one replay and, and didn't even give it the light of day. I mean, I don't know where our apology from Alain Roland's coming, but uh, I think we deserve one there. But I agree with Matt. Other than that, the Irish discipline was in- incredible. They just don't give away those. You know, a, the Wallabies are good for th- two or three silly penalties a game. Someone will claw someone in a line out or ta- you know high and, tackle. We had a high tackle and a, a dangerous card. tackle. Those ones. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we haven't even got onto that yet. I mean, but Dean Mum, I mean, are we going to, are we going to, um, Reggie, go are you going to bring the fury about Dean Mum? I think we're, uh, you know, the, the, the people really want you to fire up here and, and give it to him with both barrels. But, um, I, I, oh, I, I don't know. That still, when he when he steals that line out in the third minute, you yeah. think, well, well check is a genius. I mean, this is this is a fantastic move, but um, it, it went downhill from there. So my only comment and putting aside the yellow card, he had the least number of tackles of the forward pack. He had the least number of runs uh, with the ball of the forward pack. Put uh, other than the two uh, props, but yeah, I, you know, my thoughts of Mama are well known. It can be over the top sometimes. Bombs, but um, I, I don't see how he's picked. Look, I, um, I I watched that press conference again today, Hugh, and the first three questions weren't about the refereeing. Checker made them about the refereeing. Oh, the first one he didn't even answer. The second two, he, he made them about the refereeing and continued to bring up the uh, the penalty count and um, uh, make snide little comments about the refereeing and comments and not being able to comment. Well, Robbie, don't want me to comment, uh, but would love to. Um, and having chats with Alan Rowland. Uh, he's he's playing a game, and I, I think it looks bad, to be honest. I think he's got to accept the result and move on. It'll make things a whole lot... Uh, it just looked better from a from a I guess an Australian rugby perspective, and, and maybe again I get too caught up in how things looked and how they really need to be. But that's my reading of it. Um, look, we're going to move on. Lots of rugby played this weekend. We want to just look very briefly at question three: was what caught your eye from the other results, international results this weekend? Before we look at England, I guess the big one, guys, was South Africa losing another game, losing to to Wales of all people. Hugh, uh, you know, this was a game no one knew which side would be. Worse than it, as it was, it was South Africa. Yeah, it it it, uh, it <laughs> horrible, horrible. I mean, Wales Wales dusted them pretty easily in the end. I mean, to yeah. think that after what what every other team's done to Wales this this um this season so far, and and to come out and dust the. I mean, geez, we think you know. Imagine what our forms would be like on the on the side if we were experiencing anything like what the box have. It's um. It's just horrible. It, it is absolutely but horrible, and, and God knows what's happened over there. And we'll need some of our South African fans to to maybe enlighten us. But um, it's it's just um yeah, it's been a real really um disaster after disaster for them. Remembering they did beat Ireland twice this year though as well, um, uh, Matt. You know, not looking good for South Africa. You know, where do they go? Mate. New coach. 
Well, it's hard to... I mean, yeah, I guess so. But um, I think they thought they had the right guy. Um, just about everyone thought this guy was a bit of a genius. And, my God, talk about going to custard. Um, uh, yeah, when, when the staffers fall apart, they really do, don't they? Because, you know... There's don't pl- they? There's such, a t- there's such a team that, you know, has so much grunt, um, you know, in all of their performances. And, and obviously... When they just when they lose that and they lose that steam, there's nothing left, and it's just I don't know. It's sorry as hell. I, it's hard to see how this guy how could say um, keeps his keeps his role. I mean, he's managed to get to the end of the season. Maybe they say, look, you get one gimme, um, and then they'll see how he goes. You know, beginning of the next. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. You know, there's always so many layers to what's happening in South Africa rugby beyond to than yeah. what's just happening on the field. The only other result that's worth mentioning is New Zealand getting up over France 24-19, which was a brilliant game. You know, great skill and all that sort of stuff. And again, as we mentioned last week, France playing good rugby. But it should be noted that uh, 24-19, pretty similar to uh, the Australia win over France, 25-23, and that was our second team. So, you know, extrapolations here, Australia A, as good as the All Blacks. I think that's a, a pretty standard um, uh, outcome from that. Fair enough, yeah. <laughs> it's obvious. obvious yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, well, we're going to move into our next uh, phase of the podcast and bring in a very special guest. In the moment, we've been waiting for joining us for the the back end of our podcast. Uh, back with the Egg Chasers, the reunion. We had JB on early in the series, and now we've got Tim. Thanks for joining us, Tim. G'day, sport. <laughs> Thrilled to have you on board, mate. You're um, finally this culmination of the season. It's it's only fitting that we started with the Egg Chasers and we finished with the Egg Chasers, hey? Uh, yes, uh, it's wonderful to be back on. I don't know how much sense you got out of JB before the Welsh game. I'm hoping I can bring a little bit more to proceedings. Yeah. I was listening to you doing the. I was listening to you doing the start of the podcast and the the apologies yep. you were making to New Zealand. You, you, you got a couple, mate. Uh, oh, I feel as a token Englishman, I, I, there's 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 always things to apologise to New Zealand for. <laughs> Firstly, I just want to apologise in advance to New Zealand for breaking their record of the number of consecutive international <laughs> oh, <yeah>. wins, <laughs> which we should sort out by the end of the Six Nations in March. Uh, also for being rubbish during the World Cup because we didn't, they didn't have a worthy opponent that was up to their level to beat. <laughs> oh, wow. uh, and also um, apologise for James Haskell, Dylan Hartley and Chris Ashton. I know it was in the 2011 World Cup, the quote-unquote lewd comments to a woman that made the news headlines, but they, they, I just worry that they might have given Aaron Smith some ideas. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it's normally it's normally world rugby following the footsteps to the All Blacks, but this time they're, they're following the full footsteps of the bombs, eh? Yeah. Well, you know, for the first time. Well, I, I can tell you, mate, Tim, you've, you've put us in a bit of a quandary because as much as we'd hate to see England kind of break some sort of winning record to see what it would do to New Zealand or Kiwi rugby supporters would just be too good to miss. Um, there are, there are like, there are, you know, uh, I think there are sort of, uh, forums already melting down about the possibility. So for you guys to actually make it win would to actually make it work would be worth the price of admission, I think. Yeah, but they, yeah, they can just point to the, they can point to the two William Webellis cup cups on their mantelpiece, can't they? No. Yeah, and it'll be like when the Wallabies won the 91 World Cup. The Springboks will say, you never played us, so it doesn't count. Yeah. Anyway, I'd still love it. All right. Yeah, that'll be awesome. 
Right, well, let's get stuck into this weekend, Tim. Thanks for joining us. So we're going to have a look at uh, the big match this weekend, uh, Australia versus England over there in, at Twickenham. And I guess, Tim, we're going to go straight for you. And we want to know, uh, before we look forward, let's look back, uh, having a look at the, the, the November Test Series itself and the Wallaby performances. How do you rate? What do you like from what you've seen? What, what impresses you? What doesn't impress you? What impresses me all the time, and it's, it's the Aussie way, and I, and I think in, in a funny way, Losing to Ireland might just unshackle Australia. The pressure, in some respects, might be off in a way. The Grand Slam opportunity's gone. And what, the fact that they can create opportunities out of, out of nothing is always what worries an Englishman, I can tell you, when, uh, the prospect of playing against Australia. I just hope that the, the finishing is as bad as it was against Ireland, against mm. England. But that, that's always the worry, always. Yeah, and before Ireland and England, uh, before Ireland, all this series, our finishing has been diabolical. Um, so what was your reading of the Ireland match? We've had a bit of a, a, a wang about it previously. What was your uh, interpretation? Opportunity missed. I yep. think, I mean, there's been some funny uh, Photoshop work being done with Israel Falau being dubbed the butcher. And I just, <laughs> I think they totally butchered uh, the opportunity to win what would have been a really strong win in Ireland, I mean, who had plenty of injury problems and before the game, in the warm up and during the match as well. And, and much like New Zealand in Chicago, you, you kind of think, you look back at it again and go, I don't quite know how you didn't win that one. And in, in one respect, that is compliments to Ireland because they now have a mental fortitude that they haven't had for a while and a, and a depth of squad that they haven't had. But um, yeah, missed opportunity big time. I, I, look, I watched the game again and, and just thought in that middle 40 minutes should have accelerated away. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Matt, what about you from an English performance? What have you caught and what have you seen? Well, mate, yeah, just looking at... Um it, it struck me. Oh, what was the the the, oh, the the match towards the beginning of the uh, of the internationals? Who did you guys have? Was it um, the Saffirs to start with? South Africa yeah. first. Yeah. Fiji, yeah. I mean, I, I noticed it in that match, and then watching Argentina again uh, just this last weekend is just how polished um, the England team is. Um, really know what they're doing. I mean, against Argentina, and, and here's the th- problem with Argentina. I mean, we, even we managed to do it against them. Is that if you just you know give them the ball in their half, they'll end up making a mistake. Um, and even better, if you can get some territory there, you can force one out of them. And there must have been, what, 12 or 15 points from England. And I know, um, you know, Farrell missed a couple of penalty goals, actually, where, you know, just, you know wait for Argentina to make a mistake, um, get down into their half, driving more, three points. Um, and it was as simple as that. And England just kept, you know, kind of putting that on. And I thought the, the method with which England did that was, um, was, was amazing. Um, that. Definitely, I think one of the things that came out of the tour down here, one of those quotes from Eddie Jones was, you know, the one stat that they measure is how quickly England are up in defence and in attack and realignment, which would have gone right back to the Randwick days because that's a Bob Dwyer mantra, that one. Um, and, you, and you see that. You see that, you know, England would just work on having that that wall of defence um, right across, which the All Blacks had started doing a couple of seasons ago now. now what it does do, and I thought this was what was really interesting, and I think Argentina did exploit it um, at points pretty well, was you know it makes some weak points around that ruck and through the middle of the ruck. Um, and I thought, so I thought, you know, I thought that was pretty interesting. But, I mean, it's a really, really impressive England team from the point of view of, you know, knowing what they're going about, 
um, playing out those first 40 or 50 minutes until they just grind down the other side and then opportunities kind of present themselves. I, I would have thought you'd be pretty happy with that performance, Tim. Absolutely. I think that was a big statement, actually, as to, to what England can do, that composure with 14 men, 13 men at one point. Oh. I know Argentina lost their heads a bit and started uh, stamping their way off the field as well towards the end. But uh, <laughs> yeah, real real maturity. And I think we've got a lot of young guys. The average age is still very young, but you can imagine by the 2019 World Cup, we could have 23 or 30 guys with 30 or 40 or more caps to their name. And that's what I find most exciting as you look forward. <laughs> Hey, Tim, I was, wanted to ask the question, uh, and I know you guys and the, the Egg Chasers love uh, defence coaches, particularly defence consultants who come in. And Jason Ryle, so former leaguey, was brought in by Eddie Jones for this tour. Anything noticeable you picked up, change in the defence strategies or intent or how they've gone about things? Well, also, I think Ireland, who you came up against, you saw a very physical oh, gosh, yeah, yeah. defence from Ireland, and they've taken the Saracens, the club in, um, in, based in North London in England, the European champions, they've, 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 they've taken An- Andy Farrell, who came via England yep. to, 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 from Saracens, and England have taken Paul Gustard from Saracens as well. And I think, yeah, it's just what you get, and I think what, what this England team have in spades is the intelligence of when to challenge, when not to, when to fan out. And I, I think that's what makes it them so hard to break down is those decision-making moments uh, at crucial times. Hugh, have you caught much of the English? One of the observations I thought was interesting was um, who they've played. I'm obviously South Africa, who I think we all rate as one of the worst South African teams to have played for the box uh, in many years. Then an easy win at Fiji with a bit of a mixed-up team and then the Argentines, who we've known, have been pretty mixed. You reckon uh, the England might be doing it a bit easy working their way in, Hugh, or, or this is a nice little build-up for the Australian game? I, I don't know, Rich. I, I think hindsight will be twenty twenty on this one. I, yep. the, the optimist in me, the Wallaby fan, thinks that, you know, you look at the top eight sides, or certainly the sides I consider to be the top eight, and and England have played one, and that's number eight, South Africa. And really, they're you know they're number eight going down. Um, they're an absolute schmozzle. Um And you look at Australia, and we've played four of the top eight. You know, Ireland, France, Wales, and Scotland. So you know, the, the optimist thinks that Australia a bit more battle hardened. Um, whether they're too fatigued is is obviously the question. And whether England are coming in beautifully fresh, I, I'd I'd say that you know. Before that um, Elliot Daly red card, you'd suggest England had never been tested. But to go through 80 minutes against Argentina, you know, Argentina are struggling and they're not what they used to be. But to do to do it with 14 men and with 13 actually for, for 10 minutes there in the, in the end of that first half, um, it, it, um, it was something pretty impressive, I thought, and showed that they're still a quality side that we knew they were, that we know they are and that they were in June. And I'm not expecting anything less than, than, you know, a really, really polished performance. And yet they've got some injuries to guys like a Tajay. And I think, I think, uh, I think Billy Vunapola looks like he might be out now as well, um, which is a bit of a shame. But um, yeah, I, I think that they're still a very, very good side. And that, that clinical finishing and that decision-making has been um, on display through their whole series, through the three games so far. They're pretty key. Aren't they, Tim? I mean... If- from that team that 
that dominates in June, um, Itoji, uh, Haskell, and now no Billy V. Uh, big big foots to, uh, boots to fill. I guess you've managed it with no Haskell and Itoji so far, but um, is a, a massive loss moving forward. Huge, huge. There's uh, Austin Healy. I don't know if you remember him uh, oh, yeah. being the yep. team in years gone by. Yeah, uh, Austin Healy said that with Vunapola, he had England favourites. Without Vunapola, he made Australia favourites. He's that much of a, a game-changing player, a wrecking ball of a man. Um, I, I, and I don't know whether Nathan Hughes will be a, a player off many Australian fans' radars, but he looks like he's going to start at number eight. Uh, a Fijian-born player who's qualified on residency, and don't get me started on that. I could, I could <laughs> rant for ages about project players and, and all of the rest of it. But, um, but he it has been one of the form players in the English Premiership. Hasn't been playing up to his normal standards recently, but on his but a massive ball carrier. So out with Billy and hopefully Nathan Hughes is going to step up to the mark. If there's one player yeah. in world rugby okay, player from any other team in the world that I could that I could trade for, one player, um, I'm, I'm taking Binny, Billy Vinopola. He would fit into that Wallaby back row so well. He's the player we're crying out for. But um, yeah, I've got to say exactly a little right. bit happy. Yeah, you bang on there. We're missing that sort of big ball carrier number eight. I think we've got hopes for uh, Tamani, but whether Checkers lost confidence in him and, you know, we keep Pocock there, but Billy V would be awesome at the back of that Wallaby scrum. What, what's the, uh, can you tell me, what's the beef with Dean Mum? I just see so much vitriol <laughs> for Dean Mum everywhere. Oh, I think, oh, I think, I think it's got a little bit far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, I, look, I admit I, I questioned his selection in the Wallabies back last year when we brought him back. I'd never rated him much of a player previously. And I know he was pretty good up there in the UK when he played. Uh, he got straight back in the Wallaby squad. I think he might have played 20 or 30 minutes for the Waratahs and all of a sudden was called back in the Wallaby squad, uh, having signed a couple of years. Chucked into the, the World Cup squad, uh, a team ahead of my favourite boy, James Hall. So, you know, that always was going to put him offside. And I'm not going to claim I started this momentum, but it is definitely built. And I must admit, <laughs> I think it's a little bit over the top now. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I cringe a little bit when I see some of the, the statements and memes that come out there uh, across the world. And ironically, watching that Ireland game when he claimed that early uh, line out against the throw, I thought, okay, I might have to suck it and see this game. But he, he did us wonders and got yellow carded later. <laughs> well, on your favourite then, James Horwell, did you see his finger and the stuff um, that got into? Uh, yeah. Well, that was horrendous. <laughs> and yet he's going to be back and playing this weekend. The guy's a, a total hero. Bloody oath, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Is he really? I didn't realise it. I know he wanted to get it strapped up during the game, but I didn't realise he was coming back that quickly. That's remarkable. Yeah. yeah. Good man. All right, well, let's, shall we have a look at the test this weekend then, mate? We'll, we'll move forward to the actual uh, uh, game and... Um, Let's let's spin it up a little bit. You can listen to us for a little bit, Tim. Matt, the Aussies, how are they going to win this one? Um, through Michael Checker's mouth. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I mean, the, the the battle has started in the press. I mean, obviously, Eddie um, set this one up, and Checker's just come, you know, wading right in. I think over the next day or two, we'll see whether that's onto a punch or not. Um, I don't think there's anything too clever here from Czech. I think he's just kind of lost it, basically. I think he's had enough of being goaded mm. between Hanson and Jones. And, I mean, it's quite a, it's quite amazing what he's managed to put in the press. I mean, he's basically talked about Jones tarnishing his own uh, future reputation. Um, 
and, and, and his legacy as, as a coach uh, or an, as an Australian coach, um, that's been really fascinating. And then he's come out today and um, just said, basically, Dan Cole's been cheating since the day he started playing rugby, um, which I think was you know, pretty obviously true. Um, but to say it is uh, pretty amazing. So, yeah, I think if um, if Czech can keep going, where are we now? It's only Tuesday. So he's got another four days of this. Who knows where we could be um, by the time we get to Saturday. You, you must be pretty scared about this one, Tim, I would have thought. I, I, do you know what? I do really, really like Michael Checker. I have to say he... He comes off, especially with the with the kind of dishevelled look he's got at the minute. He's got a very like <laughs> puby looking beard uh, at the minute, and it's kind of like he's about to break down. But I loved how angry and livid he looked after the Ireland game. That's how I that's how I would want my head coach to look after a disappointing victory. He was very respectful and said congratulations, Ireland, but just looked so angry. So I was looking forward to the the, the mental mind games and war of words, and it's just going to be a five day clickbait feeding frenzy or four three day whatever between now and the game um i really love it i don't i can imagine i've had some time with dan cole and he's one of the calmest coolest uh, uh, men off the field and i think he'll just have a little very little wry smile and crack on although i will say he did struggle a little bit against argentina and south africa scrummaging so maybe that that is an area of weakness a chink in the armor that czech is trying to uh, just get into yeah, I mean, I thought that was I thought that was the play. So I thought, I think Jones could see that Cole is a potential target. Um, and I mean, he based so he got that yellow card right on, on the on the on the weekend when uh, I think uh, Creevy put him under a lot of pressure just before half time. And what was really interesting was when whereas Cole before the yellow card couldn't that scrum couldn't stay up after the yellow card there wasn't a problem. Um, and then, then when there were some changes in the uh, Argentinian pack, actually the England pack really looked strong and, and managed to get over the uh, get, get over the top of them. So I thought that was really really interesting. But I think Eddie could see that that was a potential problem, and you know it's all about perception. He knows what happened um, oh, with the loose head prop who came on in the second half. Oh, how can I forget? Joe Marler. Joe Marler. And so I think he thought he got on the, he'd get on the front foot. I'm not sure he expected Czech to come out swinging this hard. So it'll be interesting to see how. Um, he then takes it to the to the next level, um, but look, yeah, I mean, sorry, I, I, I'll talk to you seriously for a second. I think it's going to be a one cracking battle. I just, I think Eddie will do the same thing though. I think he'll be rope a dope. Um, you know, I think he'll be happy to give us plenty of ball, run it in, at England. I think they'll just trust their defence and um, Farrell's boot. Mm, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I'm I'm nervous. I really am nervous. But I was. But if you remember our little collaborations back in the summer, yep. I was or our summer, your winter, I was nervous uh, before the three test series in Australia. Uh, there's just always that threat. Uh, I don't know. I, I was, I, I would be more worried if Israel Falal was his usual self. I'd be more worried if I didn't think Henry Spate was someone that could be exposed in a game. But I really, really like uh, Haylett Petty. Really like Hodge. And um, some real classy players. So I, if if that backline clicks into gear, I'm, I'm, I am I am worried with the players we are, have missing two thirds of the back row, which completely shut Pooper up in uh, in the, that three test series in Australia. Two thirds of that back row aren't there, and that's what really concerns me about about England. So, so how do you expect them to play? I mean, how do you? Th- think they'll approach this uh, one, Tim? Do you reckon they'll play the same game as in as in uh, down here, down, down south? 
Yeah, I think it's going to be massive physical effort. I think it's worth it's worth saying, um, as you've already pointed out, England have played South Africa and Argentina, which aren't the challenge that maybe we imagined they would have been when the fixture list was drawn up. Yeah. And when we played you in the three-test series in Australia, that was your first rugby since the World Cup final. Yeah. So those caveats mean that I think this will be more even than maybe some Englishmen are thinking. I think we're expecting to, to roll Australia over. I think we will win, but I think we're going to edge it via uh, an intensely physical battle and Ford and Farrell just pulling the strings and getting us in the in the right part of the of the pitch and then in the English way, just letting the forwards try and beat your guys up, which I think they will do. Hugh, how, how do you see it playing out? Do you think Australia got a hope? Oh, I think we do have a hope. I think Tim's just laid out a pretty good case for us, actually, there with you know coming into... Uh, we're playing pretty good rugby at the moment. I think we're, we're, um, we're you know, we, we've got a bit of confidence in attack, and we're scoring points and we're scoring tries. And I expect this to be a really close game. Worth noting that if Australia win this, we're up to number two in the world, believe it or not. Um, so I think that'll be an interesting feeling among Australian fans if, if we can pull that off. But um, it, it, um, look, I, I think. A few key things for the Wallabies um, and, and where it'll come down to. It's a, it, we've got to learn the lessons of the mid-years. Let's get those exits out of our 22 and our half. Let's get those kicks going longer and going out. Let's get that discipline at the breakdown. Let's get the discipline across the field because we can't afford to be giving Owen Farrell, you know, three or four or five shots at penalty goal, giving him cheap points. Um, because, you know, against Argentina, we saw it again. He's just slotting them from everywhere. Um, and... Yeah, it's it's about that um, execution. If we can just just tighten it up a little bit more um, with ball in hand and just take one or two more of those opportunities that we've been creating, they're going to come. We've got the players to do it. Um, then you know we're right in this game. And if we can score, you know, get up, score twenty twenty five points, uh, thirty. Well, you know, we um, we're in with a good chance. That that said, we scored about forty five in Sydney and still couldn't win. So. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. So make of that what you will. But uh, oh, it's going to be a great game. Pack Twickenham. And look, to be honest, the evidence of the last uh, year, last 18 months, is I think um, Australia plays... Yeah, we'd probably prefer to play England at Twickenham. We've got a great record there. And um, clearly we're not that good at playing them in Australia. So I think it's almost a home game for the Wallabies. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, that, that almost could get... That, that would be tabloid bait... Uh, Potentially, if any journalist got onto well, that one, you look, you look at look at the last few games we played Argentina there in the Rugby Championship and towed them up. I mean, look, the All Blacks in the World Cup final, you know, a few late breaks went their way and and, and they got away with that one. Um, and but uh, one, yeah. before that, it was all uh, it was it was wins against Argentina and against England and against Wales. Oh, I think that was in Wales, but wherever it, it, it was, uh, <laughs> it was a it was a pretty good winning run. Just a quick one. So Eddie Jones, uh, Eddie Jones says that having lost the Grand Slam against Ireland, and I don't know whether this was mind games or whether this you think this will bear out. He said uh, there's no pressure on Australia now, so they're just going to want to win the Aussie way and throw the ball around. I, I think they'll. I think that's a fair comment. I think they'll throw it around because that's how they like to play. I think they'll take a lot of confidence. I think you said it earlier from that Ireland. 
Island performance in the second half. That's when they really clicked and and uh, would have drawn a lot of confidence from that. I think he's right. I, I, I'm kind of feeling a lot more confident about us entering this game with the Grand Slam forgotten about. I mean, if we're entering this game with the Grand Slam on our, you know, on our back, I reckon that would have been quite daunting for them. No, but now there's a chance just to focus on redemption. And I, I think that'll free us up a bit. And I'm quite excited. I think um, from a Wallaby performance perspective, there's a few... I think there's a few question marks now. Pack still. I mean, does Tamani come back in the team? I haven't heard anything about Mum as yet. Whether he's not mm. available, I know he's been cited. Is, is Simmons still the man? I thought Kane Douglas was excellent off the bench versus the Irish, as we said earlier. Um, so there's a few gaps there. But I'm actually, and th- this will surprise the two tars, but I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Phipps, Foley, and Falau back combining again. I think that could even um, break things up a little bit more for us. Yeah. Well, I think the English back row are looking forward to seeing Phipps as well, reacquainting yeah. themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, well, that's, that's good because there's only one of your back rowers there, so that's all right. <laughs> yeah, fair point. But uh, what a man, Chris Rob. Chris Robshaw's story yes. is incredible. <laughs> Failed at the World Cup, cap, stripped to the captaincy, and he has been a hero. So uh, I, I think everyone in England's just warmed to him so much. He was the focus point for all of the stick during the Stuart Lancaster era, but now, uh, yeah, he's a hero. Watch out for him. Yeah, indeed. Okay, well, well let's uh, let's round it up and uh, get some tips around the round the table, guys. Matt, what do you reckon? Oh, Jesus, a tough one. Uh, oh. Look, okay, um, I'm going to have to go realist here, and I'm going to say, um, I hate to say it, but probably England by three. On the on the march to uh, shattering the All Blacks winning record next year. Oh, geez, Hugh, what about you, mate? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm similar to Matt. I think it'll play out similar to the three games in Sydney. I think um, it's sorry, three games in Australia. I think uh, we'll give it a good shake, but um, England have, have got our measure. So I think I'm going to go with um, England by six. All right, Tim, what's your thoughts? How how much by the palms? Yeah, I was going to say England by seven. On the on the winning record, I will just say we do have to go to Dublin at the final game of the Six Nations. Oh, wow. uh, so that, that, that'll be a massive game. Uh, so I, I'm not convinced we'll get there, but uh, I think we will beat Australia this weekend, yeah. All right, well, I'll be the lone centre. Yeah, I, I know I tipped England in the first game. Yeah, I tipped England in the first game on the June series. So uh, I didn't have a lot of confidence, but I'm building there. I think Tim almost talked me around with the, uh, the attacking confidence we would have built. I think we can get there. I'm not impressed with the England build-up in terms of who they played, and I think there's a, there's a big chance for the Aussies to um, the sneak in there. And, and like we say, last game of the series, this is all or nothing for them. I think they'll do it big time. Good on you, Rick. But uh, what an epic encounter. Tim, you're going along, I assume, mate? I'm not, No. I'm not. So I, I since since the well, I, I, I do a lot of work on the Premiership when it's yeah, right. te- televised, a re- reporter and whatnot. So I've got a rare weekend off. So uh, no, I'm not allowed anywhere near a rugby ground. Yeah. <laughs> Get those brownie points back, mate. Yeah, too right. All right, good stuff, Tim. Well, thanks for joining us, mate. Um, and uh, we look forward to uh, uh, the big game this weekend, and we'll we'll see who's got the bragging rights after that. Yeah, and I can fully imagine if it is an Australian win, you're, uh, you'll be inviting me on <laughs> for another chat. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's just... Let's I'm just be busy. Building up. We've been building up for six months. I've, been, I've got so many zingers stored up to use when we finally win. Yeah. I need to do it. Let's play that one by ear, mate. Yeah, we'll see how the results go on the weekend. And then yeah, we'll let's see how it goes. <laughs> Cheers, guys. All right. See you, mate. Good stuff, Tim. We'll speak to you soon. Cheers, as always. Bye. 
Well, good stuff. Thanks to team for joining us again. Look, uh, we're going to wrap it up, but there's uh, a couple of pieces of news we did want to touch on. I guess first and foremost, the the big thing, uh, given everything that's gone on in Australia rugby lately, is the the news that's been announced about these huge participation figures that have been released, Matt, in this last 24 hours or so. Australia, I think uh, rugby jumping back into the top 10 most participated sports, at, at least from a junior school perspective. Yeah, we rocketed from 28th. And I am struggling to count, I mean, like, how many sports do kids play? I mean, how many sports are there? Um, like, was discus ahead of us? Um, <laughs> you know, 28 sport, or 28th, um, but up to 8th, um, I guess. So, you know, there's only eight sports that are basically growing faster than rugby from a junior's perspective. But um, that's, a, that's a big, big step up, no doubt, and a step in the right direction. I think, like, I'm trying to remember, I mean, Reg, you had a... Uh, Hugh, you looked at these earlier today. Was it they were hoping for 10,000 kids and they got, was it 20 or something? Yeah, it looks like they've doubled a lot of their targets, which is which is incredible. I think, interestingly enough, Matt, what you're saying about those figures, I think we're now ahead of league and netball. So I'd like to have a look at the whole list because I do wonder if a sport like gymnastics might be up there. or You know those sports that you do a lot at school but really don't have any application in the real world? Um <laughs> Yeah, T-ball, exactly. Um, so there, there might be a bit of that there. But look, there's no way no way you can um, you can see this as a negative. I mean, it's, it's fantastic, and it, it's obviously this early part of this strategic plan and getting out more, getting the DOs into schools. And, and, and the challenge now and the, is getting these numbers that off the back of sevens mainly coming in from the Olympics, getting these guys from playing sevens at school to playing you know, sevens and then hopefully 15s at a club level. And um, that's that's going to be the big challenge, and that's going to be the defining challenge, I think, over the next few years um, of of this uh, whole program. Because um, it's it's great that they're in school and playing sevens and 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 watching rugby and being a part of rugby. But um, obviously, we want that involvement to to get deeper and 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 um, so they can become lifelong players and fans like we are. Yeah, I just want to give an anecdote about this and a, and a real case example of these figures. My boys go for a school, go to a school here in Brizzo, a junior school with a bit of a middle school. Uh, during the rugby season, playing 15s, they had about 130 kids playing rugby. In the last term of school, they started a seven, or they joined a sevens competition with the BJRU. 250 kids enrolled to play rugby, and a large portion of that sort of extra 100 people were the kids that played AFL and soccer during the season. So that's, that's you know. Let's won't say they're all from that sports, but that's at least fifty, maybe sixty kids who who have come from another code to play sevens or play rugby uh, at the school. What a great opportunity! I mean, that's that's the figures there, and then I was blown away by those figures. So a great example of what I think that Olympic gold medal uh, from the women and and even the Fiji, the impact it's had on the game. So great numbers. It's hope, yeah, as you say, it sort of continues up the path. Mm. Well, we do, um, and, and we should before we. Yeah, I was just going to say we definitely need it because more important than any research or surveys um, with thousands of dollars spent on them. I had a dinner party at my house on Saturday night and I had a Upper North Shore mum with two boys at Knox um, lecture me for 20 minutes about how glad she was the first son was almost through finishing playing rugby with all these injuries and how glad he was the second son who's six foot four athletic type um, was playing AFL. Um, so, yeah, so I mean like... and. <laughs> And, and she was, and she had it set in her head. Oh, I, I need to dig out these these numbers somewhere. That you know, AFL does basically doesn't have any injuries versus rugby, which is almost which is veritably killing kids. 
Um, so, look, you know, A, I'm pretty sure that's not right. Uh, but B, you know, that, that's the kind of perception. And I must admit, that that actually got me quite depressed prior to seeing this email and seeing this news because I was sort of thinking, my God, if, you know, Upper North Shore um, household with two kids at Knox um, is basically proselytizing for AFL, we're in big trouble. Yeah. I presume you escorted it from your residence at that point. Oh, that was like that was the yeah. end. Of, that was the end of the dinner party. That was, you know, <laughs> it had the whole. I'd help do it at least. Mm. Um, and, and look, just before we go, Dubai Sevens kick off this weekend. The men's and women's are over there having an absolute ball. If you're watching their Instagram, I'm sure they're training hard as well. But uh, they're they're getting treated big time over in Dubai. So um, men's and women's first game back since or oh, first international series since the Olympics. So fascinating uh, turn of events. Lots of changes to both sides. We'll cover that in the coming weeks as well. Um, but uh, Matt and Hugh, thanks for your time tonight. Thanks, Matt. Cheers, Rich. Thanks, Tim, and thanks to our listeners. We'll catch you next week. Oh.